I invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, we'll be looking at verses 13 through 18. It can be found on page 987 in the Pew Bible. 987 in the Pew Bible. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we consider this passage this morning, I pray that you would encourage our hearts that we would be strengthened, that we would be fueled and motivated to live for Jesus in the face of death. And I pray, Father, that you would speak to us through your word. Give us the joy of the resurrection this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I was preparing this message this week, in light of Good Friday, I was reminded of our common experience that we will all face. And it is quite sobering when you really think of it and think about it. One commentator sums up the reality quite well for us in this way. He says this, death is a part of the human experience. No matter who you are, how important you are, how powerful you become, or how much money you make, you will not escape this experience common to all humanity. Death does not discriminate according to age, gender, ethnicity, or socioeconomic status. Unless we are still alive at when Jesus returns, we will all die. Sobering. We know the reality of death all too well, and yet we try to avoid it. I'm not saying these things are wrong in and of themselves, but we try to avoid it. We try to run from it. We try to delay it. We try to prepare for it, but it still comes. So how do we cope with it? Can there be any hope? Different worldviews and religions seek to understand and cope with the reality of death and the afterlife in various ways. And this was true in the first century as well, as this young church in Thessalonica came out of a pagan background where some believe that the soul goes into a new body, whether a human or an animal, and it had the ability to recall the experiences of past lives. Some believed that. Others believe that death was just the end of existence, soul and body dissolve. And still others thought that the soul traveled to the underworld, a sunless realm of shadows and gloomy darkness. 
It was known. It was actually known for its hopelessness. And you can understand how this would impact the way people live their lives. Right? We see it very similar today. Let's eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we will die. And so, in light of these various backgrounds, Paul gives instructions to the church concerning death and what comes next. He gives them hope in a hopeless world. We are reminded this morning of Christ's, not only his death, but of Christ's resurrection. The death and resurrection of Jesus transforms our experience of death, and it transforms our daily lives in the face of death. You see, we have something to offer. We have something to offer people that is not wishful thinking or speculation about the future. What we have is we have a certain and sure hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know someone, we know someone who has faced death, conquered death by rising again. Good Friday was here, and we celebrated Good Friday. Good Friday was here, but guess what? Sunday has come. Sunday has come. And we have a Christian hope that I want to remind you of this morning as we celebrate Easter Sunday. So first, the certainty of the resurrection. Verses, notice verses 13 and 14. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. As we transition into our passage, we've been working our way, for many of you might might not be familiar with this, but we've been working our way through 1 Thessalonians. And now we come to a new topic. Paul has described in, in this chapter, this fourth chapter, how they ought to please God. And this would, this would come through holiness, and it would come through brotherly love. And he stated in the previous passage that he had no need to write to them concerning brotherly love. They were taught by God, and they were actually loving one another. They were expressing brotherly love. And now it appears, as he writes about this topic, that he needs to inform them of something that they're not as familiar with. And that is this, this question. What happens to believers who have died before Christ returns? Would they see them again at the coming of Christ? He wants this church to understand that what the return of Jesus will mean for their fellow brothers and sisters who have died already. And certainly they were experiencing the reality of death just as we do. They were confronted with it on a regular basis, especially as a church that was living in this hostile environment. And perhaps some were killed for their faith. Perhaps they saw their family family members recently die. And they wonder, what happens next for these believers? And they're overwhelmed with grief. And they're likely confused and even anxious. And so Paul writes to inform them about those who are asleep, that they might not grieve as others do who have no hope. That's the, that's the topic. Now, when he refers to sleep, this was a metaphor for death. And it's used here in the context of believers who have died. It's as though they are asleep, right? They're, they're resting. In Jewish literature, it would refer to physical death 
and ongoing existence. The imagery then described with this term is that though the believers have died, they actually still live in the Lord. It's like they are sleeping. Death, as we know, carries a sentence of finality, but sleep is temporary. Sleep is temporary in which we awake again. Death didn't mark the end, but a transition to a better life in the presence of Jesus. It marked a beginning of something new and something better. And that's what Paul wants them to know. But at the same time, Paul still expected a grieving process. We know that in Jesus's ministry, when, when Lazarus died, uh, when his good friend Lazarus had died, and Jesus, Jesus knew he was about to raise him from the dead, Jesus still grieved. John eleven thirty five. If you want to memorize a verse, you can memorize this one. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. That's the verse. Jesus wept. You see, we recognize that the death involves separation, and separation is always hard. There, there's a finality to it, and we recognize that death isn't the way things are supposed to be. Death came, as we know, as a result of sin, and so we are expected to grieve when someone dies. But Paul, though there, recognizes that though there is a grieving process, death did not mark the end. It was a transition to a better life. They can grieve with hope. They can grieve with hope. And hope in the Bible, hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking. Hope is not a desire or a wish. You see, we hope for a lot of things, don't we? And hope is often what drives people to think that they can do the impossible or the improbable. Hope is something that motivates people to keep going. It's what fuels people to commit to a doing a difficult task. Now think about this word hope for a moment. Think about how Paul gives them a Christian hope and what this will do for these Christians in the face of death. What are things that we hope for? I hope I can stay healthy. I hope the weather warms up and it stops snowing. I hope for a good planting and harvesting season this year for the farmers. I hope my kids turn out okay. I hope to see my grandkids. I hope to retire early. I hope it's not cancer. I hope he doesn't preach for an hour. We've got dinner coming soon. We got a lot of family here. When we think of the word hope, we often use it as a desire or wish. There's uncertainty to it. It might not happen. I'm not going to preach for an hour. But when the Bible uses the word hope, it is a certain expectation that what is said will come to pass. There is a certainty to it. Why can they have hope in the face of death? Why can they be certain of a resurrection? The answer is found in verse 14. Christ died and rose again. 
The answer is found in what God did in the past. You see? Christ has been raised. He is risen. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, past tense, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The reason that Christians grieve with hope is rooted in truth. It's rooted in the confession of the church. We believe, right? There's something that we believe. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is the truth that separates those who would grieve with hope and the others who don't have hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. This is the gospel. This is what we believe. We believe that God is holy and just. And we have sinned against God. Our sin has separated us from God. We are deserving of his wrath. We are deserving hell. We deserve condemnation. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. Nothing that you can do to get yourself to heaven. We can't work for it. We don't deserve it. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. God, in his great mercy, sent his son, Jesus, to be our sacrifice, to die in our place, to take the punishment that we deserve. So those who trust in him, right? Those who believe in him will live forever. That's the gospel. And we are to respond to this good news by acknowledging our sin and repenting of it. By believing in Jesus Christ and by confessing him as Lord. If you haven't done that, if you haven't done that, if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, believe that he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose again. If you haven't acknowledged him as your Lord and Savior, might this Easter, right now, right now, might this Easter be a new beginning for you. You can have certainty and confidence in your future resurrection as well. Central to what Paul proclaimed and what the church believes is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And here it is the resurrection of Jesus, as Paul proclaims it, the resurrection of Jesus that guarantees the future physical resurrection of these believers. The certainty of your loved one's resurrection and your resurrection is rooted in and grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Upon this foundation, hope in our resurrection was built. You can have hope in death because Christ is alive. He died and rose again. And since we believe this to be true, in the same manner through Jesus, God will bring with Jesus those who have died. The effect and impact of God raising Jesus from the dead is that God will also raise and bring with Jesus those who had already died in him. Those who trust in Jesus, those who are united to Jesus, what happens for them is what happened to Jesus. What Jesus went through, right? His death, his resurrection, 
his return, guess what? If you're united to him by faith, you receive that experience as well. Where he goes, we will go. Christ's resurrection leads to our resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus implies a resurrection of those who have been united to him. So that's the solution. If you're, if you're being challenged in any way or struggling in any way to be comforted this morning, here's the solution to grief. We have a certainty of a resurrection of loved ones who have died in Christ because Christ is alive. He was raised from the dead. We have a certain hope in the future based on what God has already done in the past. God's resurrection of Jesus is the basis for our own hope in, a, in our resurrection. Our certainty, our certainty in future resurrections is based on the power of God in raising people from the dead and raising Jesus from the dead. Right? Have you thought about that? Your certainty. I love crying babies, by the way. <laughs> Sign of life. Sign of life. I love it, actually. That's why I write out my notes. <sighs> our certainty. Our certainty in future resurrections is based on the power of God in raising Jesus from the dead. Second, so we have certainty. We also have confidence, the confidence in the resurrection. Our confidence in future resurrections is based on the authority of God himself in the words that, he, in, that we see with his word, in his words. We see this in verses 15 through 17. Notice, notice beginning in verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So in this verse, and, and the ones that follow, Paul elaborates on further details about how the resurrection of Christians will take place. And this further grounds their confidence, our confidence in the resurrection. Confidence in the resurrection comes through the assurance of Jesus' words to, his, to the apostles concerning the events that will unfold. And then he gives the details here that shows the reality of the resurrection, which shows further support of this. Notice how Paul begins. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. What, what Paul tells the church is what he received from the Lord. Whether through specific instructions of Jesus concerning the end times, which were given to the apostles, or through a direct revelation from Jesus. Uh, many of the things that we read in these verses can actually be found in the Olivet Dis what's known as the Olivet Discourse in, in Matthew 24 and 25, Mark 13, and Luke 21. So Paul received these instructions from the Lord, and he, he makes them known to the church in order that they might have confidence in the resurrection. Now notice here, he, he identifies two groups. Those who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, and those who are asleep, right? So you see those two groups mentioned here. And he acknowledges, he acknowledges that those who are currently alive will not precede those who have died. Living believers in Christ 
do not have an advantage over those who have already died in Christ. So it was likely there was some sort of concern or belief that those living at the time of Jesus' return would receive glorious bodies, but they wouldn't be reunited with the fellow brothers and sisters who had already died. And so Paul corrects that thinking. And he teaches them that all believers will be with the Lord and there will be a great reunion. That's the point. The resurrection of Jesus leads to a future resurrection. And the return of Jesus, the return of Jesus leads to a future reunion with Christ and with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So now we get some details about the return of Christ and what happens to those who have already died. And at this, and, and his point is this. The dead in Christ will rise first. There will be a great reunion with all believers. There will be fellowship forever with the Lord. That's the point. And so he, he gives some specific details, though, surrounding this, which supports and strengthens their confidence in the resurrection. He describes the coming of Christ in the following way. The Lord will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Now, let me, let me give you a few brief observations concerning the coming of Christ. First, to, to speak of the coming of the Lord would have reminded them of how visits from a king or emperor took place. A Roman emperor would visit a province to display his sovereignty or his rule over that area. And when these kings or these emperors would, would come, a delegation would then be sent out from the city to greet them and acknowledge the coming king, and then they would escort them into the city. It, it's, it's a great festival. It, it's, a, it's a large, spectacular celebration and ceremony. And so it is at the, here at the coming of Christ. It is accompanied with great noise, a loud cry of command that was to be obeyed, the voice of the archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God. In a, in a Roman army, nothing happened without the sounding of the trumpet. And then the delegation of both Notice this, the delegation of both dead and living meeting the great king in the air. The dead in Christ rise first, and then those who are alive at his coming, are, they're, they're caught up. They're caught up to meet them in the air. I've heard this event uh, compared to the scene at Mount Sinai. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this story. The scene at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, where God's presence God's presence is revealed to the people on Mount Sinai when the Lord descended on it in fire and the sound of the trumpet grew louder. And then Moses, what does he do? Moses leads a procession. He, he brought the people out to the camp to meet God. And they stood, they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. You guys familiar with this? 
perhaps. But in this instance, it is the Lord Jesus that we go to meet. And in fact, all Christians, here's the point, all Christians, not just those who are currently living, but those who have died in the Lord are not left out, but they actually lead the way. And we get to join them for this great reunion. We too will be caught up together. That's the idea. We can have confidence in the resurrection because of the word of the Lord. There is not only hope of a resurrection, but of a reunion. Confidence in the resurrection of our loved ones, of our own, comes through the assurance of Christ's words concerning his return. The dead in Christ will not miss out on the glorious return of Christ. They will rise and we will join them and we will always be with the Lord. And we know that with the return of Christ, a new creation is coming. And we believers in Christ, whether currently alive or asleep, we will participate in this glorious kingdom that is to come for all eternity. Both groups, those who have died in Christ and those believers who are alive when Christ returns, will be together. We will be with Christ forever. Death Think about this. Death is not a hindrance or a barrier to our future reunion because Christ has conquered death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You can have confidence in the resurrection. Christ is our hope in life and death. Third, third and finally, the comfort, the comfort from the resurrection. Verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. So this is Paul's conclusion. His ultimate concern in the passage, I find fascinating. I really do. Sometimes, you guys know what I, I like to do? I like to study the details of things. Sometimes what I want to do here is I want to spend more time studying and figuring out the details that are in this passage concerning the return of Christ. But so often these words, so often these words can cause division and disagreement between Christians. And we try to dissect the end times and this, these various things here. But that's not the point of this passage, is it? That's not the point of this passage. Here's Paul's application point. He is concerned about the individuals within the church comforting and encouraging each other with these words. He says, notice what he says in verse 18, therefore encourage one another. It could all be, also be translated, therefore Comfort one another. Paul's aim in sharing about the resurrection of Jesus, the return of Jesus, the order of the resurrection, right? He does give us some details here. 
and the hope that we have in our future resurrection and reunion is so that Christians would then take these words and encourage and comfort one another. Believers are to come alongside to help one another with these words. Paul wants his words concerning the resurrection to be one of the ways that individual Christians actually encourage each other. So what might this look like for our church? What might this look like in our circumstance and situation that we live in? Well, as the church, as the family of God, we are to provide hope and comfort from, for those inside the church and for those outside the church. And this comes through sharing God's word. And in this instance, this involved reminding each other of the Christian hope. The dead are raised. What better word do we have to offer people on Easter or any day of the week than this? Christ has been raised. He is alive and he reigns and he will return. And we will be reunited with him along with our loved ones who have also died before us. So, consider. Consider who you might be able to bless and encourage with the good news of Jesus' resurrection. We have a message to share. We have good news to offer. We have encouraging words to help those who are going through hard times. We have a message that brings comfort in the face of death. And I think, I think we can also apply this to our lives and apply these truths concerning the reality of the resurrection by realizing this. We can have a tendency to live a defeated life and yet we worship the one who has defeated death. We can have a tendency to live this defeated life when the one we worship has actually defeated death. Let's live like it. Let's be, let's be a people filled with joy, filled with hope, filled with confidence. So I ask, I ask as we close here, how would the certainty, how would the certainty of the resurrection and a greater confidence in the resurrection, fuel you to live for Jesus this week? What impact would it make in the way you relate to one another this week? As a Christian community, let's find ways to give hope. Let's find ways to give joy. Let's find ways to encourage and strengthen those around us. And my prayer for you this morning, right, as you're hearing this, my prayer is that you might be encouraged, that you might be strengthened through the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Might you be comforted because of Christ's resurrection. Let's remember, let's remember that Christ is our hope in life and 
death. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, Christ is our hope in life and death. We recognize this, but yet we don't always live like it. And so I do pray on this Easter morning as we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus that we would that we would be a people full of joy and hope and confidence in Jesus, that we worship a risen king. We worship a reigning king, one who is alive. We look forward to the day when we will be with him, that we will be reunited with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We give you thanks and praise for the resurrection of Jesus. And what all that means for our future resurrection as well. So might we go and might we proclaim this greatness? Might we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to those around us? And let's enable us to live in a way that shows this as well this week. In Jesus' name, amen.